Doctrine is about control. And, you know, once you take the lid off doctrine, then you cannot control people. And honestly, people are afraid of that, that are in positions of control, because then they lose everything they got nailed down. My theology changes continually as I see more, as I learn more, I make adjustments. But there was a day I couldn't make any adjustments, so that was where my security was. So when you come out of that culture and you begin to talk about grace and you begin to talk about things that don't fit the culture, it shakes their security because that is where their security lies, not in relationship with the Father. I'm Lane McCall. And I enjoy exploring things that set us free spiritually and encourage us to express exactly who we were created to be. On this episode of Let's Explore, we are exploring how our culture impacts what we believe. Well, welcome to the first ever Let's Explore podcast. I'm Lane McCall, and... Today, I have a couple of wonderful gentlemen with me, with Don Keithley. Don's been a pastor for 48 years and uh, newly retired, and now you are the president of Global Grace Seminary, and you also teach through your digital cathedral on YouTube, doing online stuff on Sundays. And Global Grace Seminary is the only that you know, uh, grace-based Theological Seminary. It is the only degree-granting, accredited, totally online seminary in the world that I know of that has a total curriculum of grace, finished work. There's none other that I know of. It's fantastic. And we're also with Darren Begley. He's been a pastor for 25 years. He's the founder of Key to Justice Ministries, and he's the author of the book, I Am Identified. Yeah. Darren, nice to be with you. Glad to be here. So this podcast is all about exploring, and we are exploring the spiritual side of a lot of things. Um, In this, on our first ever episode, we want to basically get into how culture affects our belief systems. Um, And it can in a lot of ways, and we were talking right before we came on about family, about church culture, and, and you guys obviously have decades of experience inside the church and Let's talk about how how this stuff happens. Like, for example, when I got turned on to God, I had an encounter with God. God was very real and full of love all in an instant. I went from a complete unbeliever to a guy that was like, wow, God's real, and he loves me, and that's all I knew. I didn't know right. what to do from there. It's a good place to be, actually. Yeah. But then you wind up in, I wound up in different church circles, and I figured, hey, they must know what they're talking about. I'm new to this. And now, since I've had to unlearn a whole lot. So what, what, what do you think, Don, like as far as how we get influenced by the cultures around us? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think there's any doubt. We've all been influenced by our culture, especially family. You know, you kind of came into it backwards from what I did. I grew up in church. Uh, I can't remember a time I wasn't in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals. So I had, I had the culture built into me. And then when I begin to encounter some some things that didn't jibe with my culture, there was a, a lot of detoxing, a lot of uh, 
deprogramming that had to take to go on my life and I really learned then how deeply entrenched the culture was that religious culture how ingrained it becomes and how hard it is to get rid of it I mean it comes off in layers it is it is it is not easy to get rid of so I really admire people that have no church background and find this message that Darren and I teach, this grace message, pure radical grace with no law, no, no uh, rules involved, it's just Jesus plus nothing, come into that without the baggage that I came in with, because unloading that baggage is tough. It really is tough. Darren, what was your experience like? You were born into family yeah, of... We, of course, I'm the youngest of 13 kids, and my dad died when I was four. And so being raised in a Pentecostal church, and um, like Don was saying, the, the rules and um, concepts that you were taught, you, you were not allowed to think outside the box. You weren't allowed to um, explore on your own. It was, this is the way it is. Um, and, and so as a young kid growing up in that, of course, you know, you heard um, heaven and hell preached every Sunday. And they never told you um, what to do. They just told you what not to do. And, of course, by the, by the age of about 10 years old, I figured out I'm not going to make it. You know, and, of course, I was scared to death of the rapture, scared that, you know, Jesus was going to come and, and leave me. And, and uh, so, you know, one of the biggest torments in my life at that age was, you know, you had to say the prayer at night <clears throat> in case Jesus came, you know, make sure that you've uh, asked forgiveness for everything so that, you know, you, you would make it. But. But in my heart, you you just kind of knew something's wrong. This is this is not right. This is um, uh, this, this is not really about the person. It's just it's about rules and regulations. And and at a young age, realizing, you know, I, I can't keep these rules. And um, and then behind the scenes, you would see people that would preach certain things, and then you'd see what they would do outside the pulpit. And so it it almost felt like a facade and a. Um, you know, they preach one thing, do something else. And, and so in, in my teenage years, I really started to say, you know, I'm done. I can't, I can't meet those expectations. Um, I felt like I, I love God, but, you know, from the God that I was, you know, uh, told about every Sunday, and then, you know, you'd do stuff that wasn't good and you'd be told you're going to split hell wide open. And so you kind of get to a point of, you know, what's the use? You know, I think that's where a lot of people are today. I think that culture really develops like you love Jesus, but you're you're scared of God. You're scared of the Father. There's no there's no understanding fatherhood of God. You, you really love Jesus, but God is like this schizophrenic personality that you never know how He's going to react, and you hope you die and catch Him on a good day. You know, so that so that you're judged pretty easily. And like Darren said, it's all about what you do. It's not anything about what he's done. It's 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 totally a works based uh, way of living, and what it does, it it develops a lifestyle where you're working for Jesus, and you're trying everything you can do to please God. And and the more rules you keep, the better you're doing. But there's always one more thing, one more thing. You never get there. It's, you think you're kind of getting close, but then there's something else you really need to do to make him happy. So it's a whole lifestyle of living for God, trying to trying trying to please him. And so that's all built, built around rules and regulations. Well, I, when I came into the church, too, that was a very natural reaction. All my friends, young people, I was in my early 20s, 
and everyone wanted to work for God. That's all yep. I want to do That's... is work for God. And it almost like it wasn't even, it, I mean, it was there in the atmosphere, but it was almost just that natural reaction. Like my mindset was to, to do good. Like maybe I'd had employers and my parents and I always wanted to perform well. Right. And so it's almost like that natural culture that we, it is. you want to do a good job. And then we bring that into our spiritual experience with God and it doesn't, work. It's actually a... Well, you know, a lot of times the message goes like this. Now, everything that Jesus has done for you, he went and died on the cross for you, for you. everything he's done for you. Now, what are you going to do for him? That's kind of the message. What are you going to do for him after all he's done for you? And so you can never exhaust what you need to do, and it will never measure up or balance what he's done for you. So it keeps you on this constant, uh, you know, this constant little wheel that you're running on, and the faster you run, the faster the wheel goes, but you never are able to accumulate the same points for him that he, that he racked up for you. And that's, that's how the message is, and that's how the teaching, and you never, like Darren said, you never question it. I never questioned it through seminary. It's just the way, that was the culture. That was the culture. You know, but the bad thing in that, too, is you were constantly feeling guilty because, you know, you're always told, you know, you got to share it with your friends. You got to tell everybody about Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, but then on the inside, you're tormented with all the things that they're telling you about him. And so you're not wanting to share that with your friends. And so it kind of puts you in a, in a position that, you know, every time you come to church, you're, you're challenged of, you know, what are you doing for God? And of course, when you're a young teenager and going to high school, you know, so then they just put that guilt and shame on you that you're not bringing your friends to church. You're not telling them about Jesus. But I'm like, I don't want them to know about the Jesus you're teaching me. Yeah. You know, I'm tormented with him. Why would I want to give my torment to somebody else? Yeah. When I when I began to pastor, first first two churches I pastored were in a holiness church. And we considered a really good service. If you could find things in people's life that you could make them feel guilty about and then get them down to the altar after the service to pray and cry and ask God for forgiveness. And we had a thing we called praying through. You know, you had to get down to the altar and pray hard enough and long enough and strong enough until you had a release that, yes, God has heard me. It's like we were praying and God had his arms folded and was waiting for us to be sorry enough and cry enough and then he would forgive us. So that was a good service if you could get people down there and, and find out they've been, you know, dancing or roller skating or going to the movies, whatever it was, and get them to feel sorry enough for it that God would forgive them. Well, and it, you know, our religion at that time and our doctrine almost took on the identity of the home. Mm. And, you know, he, he was talking about how, you know, you love Jesus and you're scared to death of God. Mm. It was almost like you love mama yeah. and you're afraid of daddy. Yeah, that's a good Because every time you got in trouble... You know, Mama will have some mercy on you, but boy, when your daddy gets home, wait till your father comes exactly. home. Exactly, and so it's almost like they bridged the two, and then that was the scenario. And of course, with me, I didn't have a father; I had six brothers, so I didn't get one whooping. I got six whoopings, mm. and so it's almost like your whole identity from church to to home gives you a wrong perspective of who God is and who Father is, mm-hmm. and so. You know, you develop that relationship with mom because she's the one that steps in for you, you know, to have a little mercy on your side. But then, um, you know, your whole outlook of God is then shown to you through your dad or through father figures. And and it it keeps you, you know, immature because you never want to open up and, and because that's weakness, you know. So especially as a boy, it's, you know, don't cry, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
you know, you never could talk about anything because anything you're struggling with, you know, either whether it's in the church or at home is, well, you know, you just got to deal with that. Just get over it. You know, when you stand back and look at it, it really is cultic. It is. It, it, is, it, it is. It, it, it is a cult because you build your own culture, your own community, and everything becomes about us and them. Yeah. And if them aren't like us, they're going, going to hell. There's no question about it. And we have the corner on truth. We, get, we, we understand what it takes to please God and get there, but they don't. Yeah. So it, when you stand back and look at it, I was raised in a mainline church, but I would tell you it's, it, it was a cult, yeah. it, very cultic. And that, that culture is hard for people to come out of because you feel the guilt of that, just like any cult. Look at Jonestown or David Koresh, any cult that we look at. It was just on a bigger scale with hundreds of thousands of people going to thousands of churches, but we're still in this this cultic mentality, this culture. Well, you know, if you look at the word, and I mean, when you use that verbiage, people get, oh, you're a cult, you know. But if you look up the word cult, it means you have to believe like the leader. So think about how many denominations we have that when you hit their door, they put a piece of paper in your hand that tells you this is what we believe. And people that don't believe this, really they're saying, you're not welcome here if you're not willing to change what you believe and believe like we do. Yeah. That is cultic. Yeah. You know, and that, and that's why, you know, especially in the last few years of, of my life, I felt like God really showed me, you know, that that's very dogmatic and arrogant to get up and say, I know the truth. Yeah. Because the truth's is. a person. Yeah. And to tell, you know, everybody else is wrong because every denomination thinks they're right. Or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Yeah. And so I constantly say, you know, my, the greatest opportunity I have is connect you to a God that is truth. And he's the one that leads and guides you into all truth. I can just point you in the right direction. But see, religion can't deal with that because religion has to have boundaries on what we believe and don't believe. When you tell somebody, look, you can, you can get truth for yourself. Spirit of truth lives in you and will direct you. And so I'm not going to give you a fish. I'm going to teach you to fish. That That's not what they want to hear because we need people to keep coming back to hear what we say they need to have in order in order to be right with God. So with that kind of freedom, that kind of freedom is not allowed ever. Yeah, let me give you an example. I had a very famous preacher uh, come into our church, and um, you know he gave me a list of you know one, two, three, four, five steps of you know things that you it's the foundation for a relationship with God, and so. You know, the first one, you know, you have to ask Jesus into your heart uh, to be saved. And then number two is you you have to be baptized with water. And then number three, you have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I just stopped him right there and I said, you know, you can preach that, but yeah, I, I just don't see it that way. Goes, what do you mean you don't see it that way? That's that's just the way it is. I said, well, maybe the way it is to you, but that it's not scriptural. And he said, what do you mean it's not scriptural? I've been teaching this all over you know, even internationally. And I said, well, what about Cornelius? And it kind of freaked me out because he looked at me and goes, who's Cornelius? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, that was the first Gentile in, in his whole clan that got filled with the Holy Spirit before they got baptized with water. And he went, oh, my gosh, that is in there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you've seen right there, you know, it's the first time he'd ever been challenged on it. And this guy had been preaching for 30 years. Nobody had ever challenged him on his steps, mm-hmm. you know, now I don't know what he did after that, but the whole thing is, you know, he, he was preaching this all over the world. Here's the first five steps. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and here I'm confronting him on number two, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Now, those five steps he's talking about, if you went to a different church, the five steps would be different. Exactly. Now, think about this. There's 40, uh, more than 40,000 different denominations today, and they all have the Bible as their foundation, mm-hmm. and yet no two can agree on what the Bible has to say. And I know we're going to get into the Bible in another another uh, time, but I just find it so interesting that nobody ever questions, ask Jesus into your heart. Where, where's that in the Bible? Right. Where, where's there a verse that says you have to ask Jesus in your heart? Where's the sinner's prayer in the Bible? All these things that our culture was built on that we, I mean, people were college educated and never questioned it, never said, where's this in scripture? We, we say we're, the Bible's our foundation. Well, where is this in the Bible? You don't question it. That shows you the, the brainwashing that goes on in that culture. And the, there's no wonder we haven't impacted our world with the gospel when we've got 40,000 denominations all believe in the Bible as their foundation, and yet no two agree. We're so splintered, and we've got 40,000 cultures, cultic cultures right. that are, are vying for superiority. And that's that's a box that we've really yeah. put it. I really want to touch on one thing that you mentioned earlier, that... Um, it's this culture of that Jesus is the good guy, yeah, and the Father is kind of the bad guy, it's a and good it's cop, this real bad cop. dualistic idea. Well, I I think what we've done traditionally in our culture, our our church culture, is we've taken verses from the Old Testament, old verses from the New Testament, mixed them together, and tried to say this is the truth. We've tried to balance them out, and there is no balance. You can't balance the old with the new. Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. Bill Johnson said that Jesus is perfect theology. So the the bottom line for me is if you don't see it in Jesus, I don't believe it about the Father. Now, I I don't know where Darren's coming from. I I pretty well know. But for me, in the Old Testament, the writers wrote with all the revelation, understanding they had, but they saw in part and they knew in part. So Jesus came to clear up all that misconception. He came to show us the right picture. So I, I think this this good cop, bad cop, no, wait a minute. Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. So he contains everything that the Father is. So some of the, 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 the misconception is taking Old Testament scriptures and try to blend them with New Testament scriptures and make it all work out like a jigsaw puzzle. It doesn't fit together. It was never intended to fit together. And yet in our cults, we try to make it fit together. So you end up with a God that's more like Molech, a child sacrificer that needed a blood sacrifice to appease himself rather than a full reflection of Jesus. Well, you know, in part of that, and I'm, I'm actually working on a book called What Time Is It? Because if you don't understand what time you're living in, yeah. you take things that used to be a truth for that time but that are no longer a truth for this time. Can you can you give an example? Because I know you like you talk about 70 AD a bit. I know you. Right. But yeah. maybe just throw out an example of... Well, when I'll start in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, um, you know, when they gave the law to Moses, um, you know, then if your kid was in rebellion, the law was take them outside the city and stone them. Yeah. Well, you do that today, you're going to jail. But to them, that was truth, and that's the way it was. Um, so you can't take things out of a different covenant, like Pastor Don was saying, and move them into our covenant, you know, and so you have so many people out there that when you start talking about the grace, they want to go back to an old covenant passage mm-hmm. and quote that to you. And I said, no, no, wait a minute. 
anything you go back in the old covenant, you have to drop it at the cross because mm. it won't, it won't fit in the cross. You got to drop it there. Yeah. Okay. And then you go, and, and here's, people don't understand this either. The first, the gospels yeah. were not new covenant. That's it. Darren. <laughs> they were still before the cross. Mm. So you got people that are reading things that Jesus taught. Number one, Jesus only came and taught the Jews. He wouldn't. Now, was it for us? Absolutely. But it wasn't written to us. So we can glean from it. But there was things he was talking specifically. Here's the best teacher that's ever walked the planet. So everything that he taught, he was talking to them about the culture that they were raised in. They understood the law. So for you to try to go and read that and now live by Jesus's words, without understanding what he was identifying, which was the law that he was setting them free from. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, they, they want to go to some of those passages. And I said, well, let's go to, to the one about, you know, pluck your eye out and cut your arm off. Mm-hmm. You know, that, nobody wants to teach on that. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was going to them saying, hey, you want to live by the law? Because, you know, the law said, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so he, he said, you know, you, you want to deal with it on the outside. He said, I come to deal with it on the inside. He said, nothing on the outside defiles a man. It's everything that's on the inside. And so he was still dealing with their mindset of that old covenant that he was going to deliver them from. And then you come after the cross, and you know, and this is, this is where it gets really tricky, is you're dealing with a 40-year transition period. Because even though Jesus died on the cross, the, the system of the law was still going. Right. So for 40 years... The Jews still had the tabernacle, still doing the sacrifices, and, and Jesus pointed to when the day that would be ended. And, and he said, you know, not one stone will be left upon another, which everybody, I believe, not everybody, but what we come from gets really confused because what they call the end of the world was really the end of the Jewish age. It was the end of that law system that was judged and removed, and now we fully live, in, in a, supposed to, in a kingdom culture. You know, will we never look back at that again? And of course, we still got probably three fourths of the church still trying to go back and build that tabernacle again back over in in in, in Israel with with animal sacrifices. I'm like, how in the world do you go from that to a God you have personal relationship with that talks to you, that lives in you? To wait a minute, we're going to go back and help these people that don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. 97% of that nation doesn't believe he's the Messiah. And we're going to help them reestablish a new tabernacle and put animal sacrifices back in so that they can find Jesus. That's ludicrous. But that's the foundation of Schofield and Darby and the pre-trib doctrine that the church has swallowed, especially here in America. And because America had money, then that gospel was thrown out all over the world and because of what America believed. And so now it's what Pastor Don's talking about is, is you're having to go back. We have to go back and re- renovate all that stuff. And it's tearing something out to put something back in. And that's, that's tough for people to do. And it's like we, as a church, haven't taught the context of when Jesus showed up and, and the history of who he was speaking to. We, didn't, we don't know anything about their culture. We just take his words and just put them right into our culture and we get the wrong idea about so much stuff because we've just, it's like we shut our brain down and we turn it into superstition. It's like my dad, 
my dad's an awesome guy, but he's got this superstition he's had from his mom, where if you're eating dinner with him and you pass him the salt, he, he won't take it in the air. You have to put it on the I'll put it on the table. Now he would laugh at this a little bit, sure. but he still just by yeah. habit doesn't sure. want to do it. Just this thing kind of embedded. But that's what we've done with the scripture passages and there's no historical context or we haven't rightly divided the word. The cross mm. is the dividing line, old and new. And we've like, uh, he, that's a great point. The gospels are really old covenant. A shock to me was when I discovered that, and I read it because a gazillion times where Jesus said, I've only come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So you're, he's, he's, he's addressing, he wasn't addressing us Gentiles. It's, it's for us. We can get a lot out of it. And there's a lot of truth there. In the Sermon on the Mount, for example, there's tremendous truth, but it's not to us. You can't take take exactly what he said and say, okay, this is for me. And we in our in our culture, we wanted to make every Bible verse apply to us. Right. And you can't do that. And so that's led then then when you say, Well, I'm not that doesn't really apply to us, then you're gonna say, Well, then you're you're saying that the Bible's not inerrant, you're not saying, you know, that it's for all, everybody and blah, 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 and on it goes. Because that's been the whole basis of the culture is is the Bible. Matter of fact, I used to I used to preach, man. I'd say, uh, you know, we need to read the red and pray for power. Mm. <laughs> read the red and pray for power. And uh, but I I was ignorant that I didn't understand. And I'd been pastoring, you know, 25, 30 years at that point. And when I finally began to see some of this stuff, I go, holy mackerel, this is really. Well, let me give you a, a couple examples there. Um... You know, Jesus was sending out his disciples two by two. And he tells them, he said, you will not get through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man returns. Mm-hmm. Now, number one, they didn't even believe he was going to die. Because when, they, when, when the two disciples went to the tomb after he was resurrected, it says, and then they looked in and saw, and then they remembered what he had told them, and then they believed. Mm-hmm. Okay, But so if you look at that, how in the world was he talking to the Gentiles when he told them, you'll not get through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man returns. He's talking to Peter and Paul, or uh, Peter and John one time, and he's telling Peter how he's going to die, how he's going to bring him glory. And Peter says, well, what about John? He said, what is it to you if John's alive when I return? Mm -hmm. And then in another place in the book of Luke, he says, uh, you know, when you see the army surround Jerusalem, run to Pele. Mm -hmm. Okay, so these are all Jesus' words. But if you talk to anybody that wants to talk about in time stuff, they don't want to talk about those passages because they have no answer for Jesus's words. Right. And the reason is that they try to make those words apply to us when he was and talking to the Jews. Yeah. And if you put it in context with what happened at 70 AD, every one of them line up mm. because that's who he was talking to. Mm. But it takes such an expansion of our culture. See, there's no way you could fit all of this into our culture. Right. So when you begin to see this, you have a conflict. Do you stay with the old culture, which is familiar, comfortable, secure, or do you begin to break out into what you're now seeing? So if you're if you're a pioneer and not a settler, you begin to break out into what you're now seeing and what truth is. So then you've got the old culture that is trying to pull you back like a crab pulls, you know, another one crab climbs the top of the of the bucket, the other crabs try to pull them back. You got people pulling you back now or saying what you're teaching is wrong, this is heresy. And the only reason they're saying that is because it doesn't fit the box of the culture. And most people, when they're so ingrained into a culture, 
they're not going to change. I mean, they're 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 set into it, and it it takes revelation. It takes the opening of their eyes for them to be able to see anything outside of the culture that they're ingrained in. You know what we've done is we have the culture of the church has largely been a culture of fear because it's all based upon all based the foundation mm-hmm. of if you don't get this right, you're going to burn for eternity. Yeah. And who wants that? And so if you start if you start to get different ideas or even dare to think outside the box, it's a real scary place because really where are you going to go to? You're you, and that's part of what we want to do here is have conversations about exploring these things right. and let people know that there there are people that are willing to venture outside of this Christian so-called Absolutely. box and um, really think about things. Well, you, you look at the religious spirit and the political spirit, the same spirit. Mm. So you look at what the church has done. One, the church doesn't teach history mm-hmm. because information is power, okay? And then if you look at what in the political arena today, look at China. There's a reason China doesn't want their people to have the internet mm. because it gives them information of a life outside of what they have been raised in. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you pull that information back. Okay. So, um, history is very powerful. So if you look, if you go to Hawaii and you, you look back at what happened at Pearl Harbor. Okay. And I didn't know this till I, I went through and was, was looking at it. There was so many Japanese that was there touring the facility. I'm thinking, why is there so many Japanese coming over here to tour this facility? So we had a conversation with them. They said, well, uh, Japan does not teach the history of what happened in that war because they did not want their people to know what they did. So they come to America, and now they're getting a whole different perspective of what happened because they don't teach it in their history book. Well, that's what the church does. The, ch- the church has controlled the history, okay? And then they tell you, you can't question the man in the pulpit, okay? So if you look at how far we've come, I mean, my mom, just, you know, one generation, she only had a fifth grade education. So she read at a fifth grade level. So what were they told? They were just told, you know, this is the way it is, and this didn't question it. So now you have a generation that's come that's got the internet. You, you say something, they'll Google it. They'll find out information, and that's why we're losing a generation out of the church is because you cannot control them, you know, with this is the way it is and, you know, just take it because they're going to go after and find information, and they're yeah. going to look at history. It's hard for me to admit right now, but when I look back, I have to be honest and say that my security was more in my doctrine and what I believed than in my relationship with God. Now it's reversed. My security is in my relationship with the Father over my doctrine. My doctrine now is very fluid. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned my theology changes continually as I see more, as I learn more, I make adjustments. But there was a day I couldn't make any adjustments, so that was where my security was. So when you come out of that culture and you begin to talk about grace and you begin to talk about things that don't fit the culture, it shakes their security because that is where their security lies, not in relationship with the Father. So I think we can, we're going to have to really we're going to have to really embrace and and pound the fact that it's all about the relationship with the Father, His love, His character, everything that He that He showed through Jesus. That's where our security lies, not in what we believe. And that would lead people whose security is in doctrine, in what they believe. If you start questioning that, that's if that's me, that's yeah. going to shake me to the core. And Absolutely. you're not only you're yeah. attacking me, yes, mm-hmm. like personally, because that's what I stand upon. Yeah. 
And so that that's why we see, I mean, you just look around and you see a lot of aggressive type of behavior against this message of liberty and relationship and the foundation of grace. And I don't have to know everything. It's not about what I know. It's about his love and how he's embraced yep. me in it. And that's a free gift. Doctrine is about control. Mm. And, you know, once you take the lid off doctrine, then you cannot control people. And honestly, people are afraid of that, that are in positions of control, because then they lose everything they got nailed down. And you know this, man, our relationship with God, it's not about control whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about His goodness and His love. And, and because He doesn't change, we're the ones that have to change. So if you believe the same thing you did 30 years ago, you're not in a relationship, you're in doctrine. Yeah. Bottom line. I always wondered. I was wondered. I was in a, a church for a long time, and it was the same. You know, the, you listen to the man, you listen to the person in the pulpit, and you don't question it. And then I started wondering, how do they know everything I'm supposed to do with my life, and they don't even know what to do with their yeah, life? Exactly. They're still exactly. trying yeah. to figure it out. It doesn't make any sense at all. But we'll, you know, you sit in the the seats on a Sunday, and you look. And you want to almost trust someone else that they know better than you because there's such an unsure foundation in you if it's based on what you know. But if it's based on relationship, how I very first met God. Well, and then this is what happens. Then the church takes scripture that was used in a time of the early church, and then they use it as a hierarchy system, Mm -hmm. which is the giftings, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, okay? So then here's my question in that. Who determines who the apostle is? Who determines who the prophet is? Mm -hmm. And so then we got all these titles in America. You know, this one's a bishop. This one's an apostle. This one's a prophet. And I'm thinking, number one, who told them they were? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then secondly, just because they have a gift, why do they have more authority with God? Because they have a gift. That don't make sense. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, our authority comes from identity, not from a gift. It comes from our sonship. Because we're co-heirs with Christ. So if we're co-heirs with Christ, why would I find my identity in a title and a gift? Because the greatest authority I can have is to be co-heirs with Christ. Yeah. So, you know, they've taken something that is good, that it's out there. I'm not against it. But they use it as a hierarchy system to say, well, I'm an apostle. I'm right. You listen to me. Do what I say. It's got to change. It's a weird culture, isn't it? Very weird. (laughs) Gentlemen, that's all the time we have for this episode of let's explore it was fun it feels like we could just go on talking for a while good good but um we've got more to come thanks awesome thank you thank you thanks for listening to the let's explore podcast to connect with don keithley check out his website at donkeithley.com that's d-o-n-k-e-a-t-h-l-e-y.com to connect with darren begley check out his website at godshouse.life That's G-O-D-S-H-O-U-S-E dot life. Both these gentlemen live stream video content on a weekly basis and have free libraries of teaching for you to access. If you would like to connect with me, check out my blog at charityforthesoul.com. That's charityforthesoul.com. Remember to subscribe to the Let's Explore podcast in order to get all the new episodes as we roll them out. And on that note, I will send you off with a little teaser of what's coming up next time. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. 
and if Adam hadn't eat of the knowledge of good and evil, okay, in that time, was there any fear in Adam's life? Absolutely not. So once he ate of that tree and was cursed and brought in death, fear came in because the first thing he did was hide. So any gospel that promotes fear, it comes from the knowledge of good and evil, cannot come from the tree of life, cannot be Jesus. Because he said, I don't give you a spirit of fear, but a love, power, and a sound mind. End of story. So anything that causes fear in your life, not coming from God.